Wave Act, the web-free software company that understands what you want. Hi everyone, welcome at WaveAct. Today with Adam Carver, who is the CEO at Bitgreen. And today we have a really exciting topic and that's how blockchain can actually prevent charity fraud and greenwashing. And yeah, starting out, I would say thank you, Adam, for being, uh, for being here. It's really a pleasure having you on. And yeah, I would like to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, to tell us what you are working on right now. And yeah, if you want so, what are your passions and so on as well. Oh, and my passions. All yeah, right. sure. Well, that topic can go for, perhaps for more than 20 minutes. Well, Kevin, <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me and having me on to speak with your audience. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of headline news uh, in the blockchain world at the moment, and the preponderance of those headlines are actually somewhat negative. Pricing has been collapsing over the last year. There have been numerous headline failures within the blockchain industry. Some of blockchain's largest names are you know, potentially in legal trouble, yet there's a significant amount of, of developments um, for other products and services that are doing a lot of good in the world. And Bitgreen falls into that category. Bitgreen is a blockchain that is focused on creating infrastructure and different tools to advance sustainability, real world sustainability. And that relates to a few different buckets. The first would be to help raise capital and funds to invest into real world green finance and impact investments. So that can include renewable energy, microfinance and middle-class lending, especially international lending. It also includes conservation, such as financing um, like Amazonian and African conservation projects related to like rainforest, watersheds, and other natural resources, using the blockchain to raise money and then deploy that capital into these locations throughout the world, as well as supporting the people who live on these lands um, in many cases, those are indigenous groups that are somewhat vulnerable to economic exploitation and because of their lower economic status are in some cases bribed or kind of coerced into selling their land and the natural resources that is on, the, on those, those lands. And then the third area in which Bitcoin focuses is not so much related to sustainability, but instead creating different tools um, that enable enterprises to operate in a more environmentally and socially conscious way. And we can delve into some of those other areas as we go on. And then <clears throat> I, since you asked mm -hmm. about hobbies and what I'm very interested in, sure. uh, one of my greatest passions here has always been spending time outdoors. I'm a big like camper in my twenties. I also was very into mountain climbing and alpinism. So I had, climbed a variety of different high altitude peaks in Europe and some within North America out in the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington, like Mount Rainier and Mount Shushkin and Shasta and in Europe, the Matterhorn, Mont Blanc and some of the mountains around Interlaken. And spending that time outdoors has always kind of made me more inclined to want to, to value and then also to want to keep our natural resources and pristine lands conserved and safe. And here, like about a year ago in my 20s, 
I worked in investment banking and in my thirties, I became a venture capital investor. And I also worked for a startup named Angelist. And about mm -hmm. a year and a half ago or two years ago, I began learning far more about blockchain and its ability to aggregate capital, provide post-transaction settlement, decentralized governance and consensus, and many of its other attributes. And I realized that this technology harnessed in the proper way holds a tremendous amount of potential to be used toward advancing good and productive initiatives throughout the world, particularly related to conserving the natural environment. And that interest of my own personal passion for alpinism, camping, spending time outdoors, and being kind of um, enjoying and appreciating the natural environment, plus my background in technology, as well as in traditional finance, are kind of the three different areas that have convened and coalesced into Bikram. Awesome. Hey, that's, that's super interesting, especially I, I give uh, some personal nuance here as well. Um, yeah. I once founded a social tech startup as well, and I live in Austria, which is known for its Alpine region. So I somewhat identify with uh, what you just said. That's super yeah. cool. How far are you from like from the natural environment or being able to even like see mountains? Uh, well, basically just opening my door here. Yeah, <laughs> Right. Exactly. My roommate here um, in my roommate last year here in New York, also Austrian, and mm -hmm. said like he grew up, um, his family were like sheep farmers, right? So he would wake up every day as a child and then like go hike in the mountains. Very often, like he was working for the family business. And what's important for us, I think, um, to just recognize on this podcast and in general, is that most citizens at least in the united states are living are urban dwellers and live in cities where they really have no access to their nat to and um to like the pristine natural environment i happen to live in new york city like there's no mountains around here true there's no open lakes there's no other real natural resources in fact it's very very hard to have any to get any access to the outdoors you need to perhaps like rent a car or take a train it's very expensive. It's just, it's difficult to do. And for that reason, and there's not a significant amount of green space or parks within the city. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we as humans tend to lose that feeling of interconnectedness and interdependence on the environment. And that ultimately can lead toward like exploitation of those resources. Yeah. Opposing, you know, like, um, in contrast to your experience living in Austria, where you open your door and you can look at mountains, or I was just in Peru for a moment ago, Bikarin is working on a conservation project with a large indigenous group in the Amazon, helping to provide them with economic empowerment, as well as mm -hmm. some assistance with um, establishing legal land tenure on the lands in which they live. Their right. entire lives are surrounded and, and intertwined almost inextricably with uh, the Amazonian rainforest. And there's just such a strong disparity between the lives that they lead and their personal relationship to the environment and the relationship that my friends and most New Yorkers have. And hopefully actually through the blockchain, what the blockchain does so well is it's able to coordinate resources. Those resources may be human capital and workforces. It might be 
capital resources like money and fundraising. It's also stories. This is something that you're doing, right? Like you're helping to capture stories and then distribute those um, to a wider audience. And the blockchain is able to do that as well in a certain regard. And part of what Bitgreen is doing is not only helping groups like this indigenous group in Peru to raise money for conservation, but we are also attempting to capture and crystallize their story and mm -hmm. then convey and communicate that to a wider audience that is paying attention to, is curious and paying attention to blockchain's technology. Really uh, interesting points here. Um, the first question that would come to my mind is, why a separate blockchain? What was your, I, I'm sure it makes sense. I just want to understand it. Why you chose to create a separate infrastructure? Yeah. Would you be honest? And if you tell me that it doesn't make sense, you'll tell me. I, I will tell I'm you, ma sure ma that. maybe not in the podcast, but afterwards. <laughs> well, there were three stages of decision criteria that we went through as a team to decide to be our own layer one blockchain rather than to build at the application layer on a variety of different chains that already exist. And there are also, I think, a variety of blockchains that don't need to exist. They would be just as functional at the application layer. So why did Bitgreen choose to be a layer one? Well, the first decision, <clears throat> the first criteria was when we wake up in the morning as the Bitgreen team, what is the one thing that we want to accomplish every day? So we want to advance sustainability objectives. That's it. Like, that's our goal. That's my reason for getting up, putting on a collar shirt, and working on my computer every day is because there are, unfortunately, too few teams throughout the world, like maybe 50 or 100 or 200 teams that have the very specific skill set of blockchain development or even computer programming the ability to raise financing, the ability to run you know, a financial company that are focused on sustainability. That is all that we want to do. That's not the mission for Polygon, Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, and a variety of other ecosystems. And because of that, the decisions and the governance referendums and the votes that are then cast thereafter are not are geared toward the, you know, the missions of those respective blockchains, but not necessarily aligned with the mission of Bitgreen, which is to utilize blockchain technology to raise a trillion dollars for sustainability within 10 years. That's our, that's our objective. And so we had an initial fear that if we were to build uh, apps and then deploy ourselves at the application layer on another layer one, that there would always be the potential for that, for the governance of those networks to vote adversely towards sustainability objectives, right? So it's like saying in the United States, um, there's one political party that is kind of uh, hostile to the environment, right? Actually it tends to discredit scientific reports of climate change and you know, the United States is a is a democracy and obviously and, and blockchains have decentralized um, governance as well. But that makes it very that perspective and that political parties. Um, uh, well, let's say perspective 
or policy makes it very difficult to pass environmental legislation in the US. We as Bitcoin did not want to be subject to the same type of hostility within another layer one network that does not prioritize the thing that we're working on every day, which are sustainable, advancing sustainability. So that was the first reason to be a layer one. Mm -hmm. The second was then to decide, do we want to be our, um, our own layer one, such as Celo or some other chains that are disconnected from other layer one networks, or do we want to be part of another a, a, a network that has shared security and kind of like um, formalized and decentralized uh, communications, state bridge communications amongst different chains. That would be like Cosmos and Polkadot. We decided that we wanted to be part of another network and ultimately we chose to be part of the Polkadot network. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. That that was what uh, would have been my next question. Which framework would have uh, did you choose? Okay, super interesting. Uh, okay, awesome. Yeah, thinking about that, I have one last question regarding Bitgreen itself because I don't want to, you know, uh, put you under, let's say, yeah, I, I don't want to make it too deep, uh, too deep here, right? Without uh, actually going into the topic. The one big advantage that I could think about having your own layer one when you have these sustainability goals in mind is that you actually would have the opportunity because you have your own nodes, right? That you have some kind of, even if it's just formal guidelines, that these nodes need to be powered by sustainable energy resources. That could be something. Not sure if you do it, you don't need to answer if you do it, but that's something that I could imagine that well, would be actually right. cool. I think that you're tapping mm -hmm. into an important root problem that is, well, it's not a problem for us, right? Mm -hmm. An advantage for us is that Bickering exists with the sole purpose of advancing sustainability objectives while using blockchain technology. But on a different chain or in a different network or in a different community, that does not prioritize sustainability or its values, they will always ultimately prioritize and seek other objectives at the expense of, let's say, um, um, managing their consumption or their pollution. So let's not even think for a moment about blockchain. Let's just think of a normal corporation. A corporation's primary objective, in fact, the only objective for most corporations is to generate profit for its shareholders, right? And in the United States, the board of directors that controls US public companies are legally forced, right? As their fiduciary responsibility to vote as a board member in order to, with a plan of action that advances or enhances or creates the greatest probability of profit generation for the company. Makes and sense. in many ways, that is oppositional to, let's say, including internal controls related to labor laws, or I should say labor laws, but labor, employment benefit, employee benefits, um, recycling, pollution, the use of other resources that have some type of an internal cost, but that is not revenue generating. A corporation's primary objective is to generate profit, reduce expenses, 
and increase revenue as much as possible. Sustainability doesn't really fit into that equation in any way. And we see that even though, let's say, like the many people at the Ethereum Foundation might be inclined toward environmental conservation, up until just a few months ago, the network used proof of work as its consensus mechanism. And so there is always the possibility on a different chain or in a different network that the community votes in favor of sacrificing some type of sustainability objective in favor of another strategy that is focused on enhancing profit or in this case, like network revenue. Mm -hmm. okay. And I'd say there's one more, there's actually one more piece here, why we chose to be a layer one. Mm -hmm. Our our working hypothesis is that sustain on-chain sustainability, and the kind of the name for that right now is called refi or regenerative finance. Whether we like the name or not, that's what people are calling it. Our working hypothesis is that the predominance of, of refi activity will not be multi-chain. It will be centered, it will be centered on one or maybe two chains only. And the reason is that many of the larger participants within the sustainability ecosystem, those are nonprofits, um, some institutional investors, and let's say family offices and philanthropists as well as corporations and their internal ESG groups. Mm -hmm. Those entities are very unlikely to do business on five different layer one chains or six different chains, right? They're very likely to just choose one and they will do all of their business on that one chain because they're not necessarily as tech savvy as like a degen yield farmer who is always looking for that like extra bit of liquidity and yield. So if you are, let's say, the Nature Conservancy, the largest environmental nonprofit in the United States, that's not a tech company and they don't necessarily employ super tech savvy people. They will find a technology with which they're comfortable and then they will just continue to use that for a long time. And they're very likely to choose a technology or an operating system that is being used by their peers. So if we then factor in those two assumptions we believe that refi will not be multi-chain it will be centered on one or two chains only and that word of mouth social proof and the um <clears throat> adoption by one or two entities within this within the green space will result in attracting other entities combined those three factors will create a network and we believe that BitGreen can develop a network effect of users related to green finance, ESG, and sustainability by being the by being known as the chain, the blockchain for sustainability, and then offering specific products for those sustain for attaining those sustainable objectives mm -hmm. in a way that may not be possible on Polygon, Solana, or Ethereum, which are general purpose chains and support an infinite number of different use cases. Yeah, so uh, makes totally sense. You have more control, you have more governance, right? Um, you can actually uh, influence decisions in a way that are favor also that are actually good for sustainability goals. That totally makes yeah, sense. Right. Um, thinking about sustainability or charity in general, and I go here one or two steps back, um, where you talked about the projects uh, that you're involved in uh, or want to do in future and so on. How plays blockchain 
on a high level actually into that? How does it protect participants like donors and so on from actually yeah, being cheated on? Let's put it that way, that the money flows somewhere else without people noticing that things are not being spent the way it was uh, publicly uh, communicated and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, just to be honest, I think that there is an, there's a bit of an assertion that when people give money to charity or they spend money, um, they, let's say, like buy a green bond, that the money that they are sending is not ending up in a place that they intended. And there's no doubt that that situation does happen rather infrequently, but when it happens, it's devastating. A scenario that is more frequent is that like you, Kevin, or me, Adam, want to invest a dollar in middle-class loans in Nairobi, Kenya, or in South Africa, right? And because that's an international investment and that dollar needs to travel through multiple different financial institutions that are, in this case are called microfinance banks, microfinance institutions. Mm -hmm. Each one of these entities very often takes their own cut or their own piece of the dollar. They're extracting value along the way. And so the dollar that you and I invest may only be 60 cents by the time it arrives in Kenya, right? And then it's loaned out and then that money comes back to us and even if it comes back to us at a dollar or a dollar fifty is sent back, only a dollar ends up back in back in the United States. So that's just a that's an inefficiency of the existing banking system, and that is fairly prevalent, especially within green finance, because many of the institutions and processes and protocols that are facilitating these type of green financial transactions are just not as mainstream and advanced as your traditional like banking transaction where you would go to Citibank or a large international bank and withdraw money or take a loan, right? Mm -hmm. So how does the blockchain play a major role here? Blockchain is actually a very, is a superior technology for making long protracted processes that may last six or eight months only one month or several weeks, or maybe only several days. It's able to do that by, first of all, using its core technology, which is a chronological ledger of all transactions. And that chronological ledger is immutable. That ledger can be changed in every successive block, but there is always a record of what previously happened. An issue that green finance has, and this has been a salient persistent problem, is actually tracing where the money came from, where it goes and how it was used, right? That mm -hmm. problem for the most part is somewhat expunged by using a chronological and immutable financial ledger that is transparent to anyone who wants to do a financial audit, right? It's like a fundamental strength of blockchain. It's as if this software was actually developed to solve the problem that is faced by green financial transactions. Blockchain totally can also sense. do a tremendous job in. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, so sorry. I just want to confirm you. I, I thought you're. Please continue. Right. So you were suggesting or saying sometimes there's fraud, and and maybe there is. There's no denying there's fraud in a variety of different you know financial transactions. Almost every type of financial transaction. 
the blockchain does a <clears throat> is a powerful operating system and software that while it cannot completely protect against fraud it at least surfaces and makes those transactions when they happen transparent and auditable so that we can do some type of retroactive assessment of where the money came from and where it went and how it was used and then try to actually change and improve those systems in the future if we're able to see some type of fraudulent or more likely inefficient use now what's great here again is is that the blockchain can hopefully as well eliminate some of those middle layers of many of the like um kind of like institutions that are in the interstitial space between the source of capital and the end user of capital or the last mile. And in certain parts of the world, that last mile, that entire value chain might consist of six or seven or eight different financial entities, all of whom are extracting their piece of value from the dollar that is invested. With blockchain and cryptocurrency, in practice, we can send money directly to a user at the last mile, directly to their phone. And in some cases, maybe we don't want to do that. Like sending money directly into the Amazon um, may not be a good idea for a variety of, of reasons. Security is one of them. But we certainly can send value, you know, digital money to one middleman or let's say one institution that is closer to the last mile directly by cutting out some of the other middle layers. And then finally, What's really important here is performance. So when we are, when, when somebody invests in a renewable energy project, well, like what are some of the, what are some of the metrics that are important in terms of evaluating that asset? Well, number one is like, if it's a solar project, is the sun shining and is the solar asset actually generating electricity? And then is that electricity being pumped into the electricity grid and sold for revenue? Mm -hmm. The blockchain okay. can support oracular data, basically Oracle feeds, right? That again, feed into the blockchain and that uh, those feeds are immutable so that any individual investor or, or, or even in, whether it's a retail investor or it's a trained investor can do their own research to evaluate many of these, of these investments. That's very true for, let's say, renewable energy because there's objective information that we can actually take from the electricity assets in uh, producers inverter and then pipe that directly to a blockchain we also are able to then source let's say that these are mobile loans microfinance payments to people who are living abroad we would be able to track the performance or let's say the servicing the payback of those loans in real time or at least in a timely manner take that information put it on a blockchain and make that both anonymized and perhaps encrypted, like we can make it permissioned if necessary, but we can make that information available to the general public to do their own research. Yeah, data availability, data integrity, all these kind of things that you just elaborated on are definitely big, big factors and strong use cases for, let's say, refi, defi, everything that actually involves some kind of value exchange right as you perfectly described for the audience you have 
uh, that last mile problem in many, many, many business cases, right? Not just when it comes to financing uh, some kind of, uh, let's say, charitable uh, project uh, somewhere else, right? It's always about international trade and this international value exchange. And when you can, when you have some kind of independent layer between that, that's, from my point of view, a no-brainer in terms of use case, right? Yeah, if you're an individual who cares about sustainability, maybe your passion is Amazonian conservation. Maybe your passion is renewable energy. You want to put some of your own discretionary investment capital to work to advance those goals. And we're not talking about charity or philanthropy. What I'm referring to is like buying a digital green bond or buying some equity in a company that is developing a technology for carbon capture, right? Capturing carbon dioxide out of the air. Mm -hmm. All of us desire some level of um, information integrity, right? We need to be able to believe that there's credibility and veracity in the investment in which we're, we are evaluating. Moreover, we want to see some type of performance reports that are indicating to us that our money is uh, how it's being put to use and it's, it's being put to use in the way that it was intended. And then we want to see like, what is the performance outcome of that investment? In the absence of that, then the industry in which we're talking, which is green finance right now, will lack the ability to actually appeal to a broader audience of green aspiring green investors. And that's where the industry um, currently, the state of the industry is somewhat is immature because it has not yet been able to make that quantum leap to become a mainstream investment product. And that's, that is a goal or an objective of BitGreen. As a blockchain, we want to create a mainstream investment product out of green finance. And we use the blockchain to enable that, the, um, the realization of that goal rather than just using the blockchain because it's this mysterious, curious, and sexy technology. It is actually a superior technology and one that helps to bridge these gaps that are currently being experienced by the green finance market or sector for capital aggregation, information integrity, data sharing, as well as ultimately the transferability of these investments from peer to peer, from investor to investor. Well, the interesting, uh, one of the interesting parts of Bitgreen is that it's part of the Polkadot network. And so Bitgreen itself, we are what's known as a parachain, a parallel blockchain within the Polkadot network. Polkadot is not a general purpose layer one. In fact, it's somewhat of a layer zero where there is one centralized chain called the relay chain that is the settlement layer chain mm -hmm. for all transactions within the Polkadot network. On top of the relay chain are a variety, you know, potentially there can be infinite of these, but there are a limited number of parallel blockchains. These are application specific chains or purpose built chains, chains that are designed with a specific intent. So you will have a parachain that's focused on metaverse, another one for NFTs, another one for um, like DeFi, another one for supply chain, right? One's for environmental commodities, one's for sustainability, right? Bitgreen is focused on sustainability, environmental commodities, and other use cases related to human betterment. It's like, it's a feel-good chain. A feel-good chain, love that. And that's, love our, that. <laughs> that's our role 
right? Both broadly speaking within the block space as well as within the Polkadot ecosystem. We're the, we're the primary team working on those, pro on those problems. Mm -hmm. Our chain does not have its own validators, even though we are proof of stake. One of the efficiencies of the Polkadot network is that we tap into the Polkadot relay chain, which has its own nodes, its own validator nodes. So um, no, the Bitgreen chain itself does not have validators, but anyone can be a validator node for the Polkadot ecosystem. And there are some like thousands of them. One of the incredible advantages to launching our chain within the Polkadot network is that we did not need to go out and recruit validators. Although there are, there's a different form of validator that each individual parachain has. And in Polkadot, that's called a collator. And yes, any, anyone who is excited by running their own nodes can become a collator on Bitgreen and if you're interested, I would, I would encourage people to either send us an email at info at bitgreen.org, or you can go to our Discord channel. The link is on our website, bitgreen.org. And we actually have a chat named Co-Leaders. And our technical team led by our CTO, Dennis, is in that chat. And you can just send us a message that says that you're interested in being a co-leader, and then we'll invite you into a separate room. Awesome. I will definitely put these links and email addresses into the bio as well. Um, yeah, Adam, awesome. Thank you. Do you have, let's say, maybe three key takeaways for the audience that you think they should definitely remember after this awesome session? All right. The first is sustainability is its own product. It is not a bug and it's not just a feature of another product that exists. At the beginning, you asked a little bit about greenwashing. One of the criticisms that underlies this concept of greenwashing is that companies take their normal product, whatever it is, a glass, and they try to create this green spin on it. Our contention is that in the coming decades, in the coming years, particularly as the earth warms, as there is increased regulation in the EU and the United States, and consumers become more green conscious. Green and sustainability will be its own product category. And the companies that understand this and create green products are going to be the teams that win out. And that's why we created a blockchain focused on sustainability rather than being just an app that is launched on another general purpose chain. So that's number one, sustainability and green as its own product. Number two, Green consumers and users of these products tend to be highly brand loyal, and they are extremely discerning with, with, with the products that they purchase. That's another reason why we chose to be our own network, because we believe that those green consumers who buy Teslas, who buy organic food, who turn off their cars when they're idling because they don't want the extra pollution to go into the environment, will also make the, the buy decision to use the Bitgreen blockchain rather than to use another chain that is taking no philosophical position or maybe like a proof of work um, oppositional perspective on the environment. And the third thing is we're going to be launching uh, in January 2023. And the first product, in fact, has nothing to do with clean energy. It has nothing to do with Amazonian conservation. It's going to be a consumer game 
that is related to habit formation and living a more healthy lifestyle. And we're launching it right around the New Year's, the time of New Year's resolution when people are already thinking, they're already reflecting on 2022 as a year in review and they're thinking about the person who they want to be in 2023. So we have this game that people can play. They actually place a bet or it's a deposit on themselves that over the course of a month, they're gonna set certain behavior targets that are aspirational and then they work toward achieving those targets through the game. When they accomplish their goals at the end of the month, they get their network token deposit back. So the game costs nothing other than you have mm -hmm. to place this deposit. And if you don't hit your goals, we end up donating that those network tokens to charity. In this case, that means purchasing verified carbon credits. I see. Okay. Awesome. Super, super exciting. So I wish you all the best uh, with the launch of your project or your game in that case. And yeah, I would say if there's nothing else, thank you again, Adam, for this great session. And yeah, also thank you to the audience. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin and everybody who listened and look forward to seeing you uh, at biggering.org or in our discord. Awesome. Thanks friend. Wave act. The web-free software company that understands what you want.